Good morning. Uh, it's a joy to be here for uh, the, the last, the sixth week of the Abide series, and uh, this text is truly a blessing. But before we dive into God's word, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come before you in your presence. Lord, open up your word to our hearts and minds. Help us to receive what you have for us, Lord. Show us the peace we have amidst the tribulation we face. It's in Christ's name, amen. Now, uh, in the days of Israel, in the Old Testament, uh, there was a time when God had sent his people to spy out the land of Canaan, to go forward and see what the land was like, who was there, and how they were going to conquer the land. Uh, the spies went, and they looked in the land, and they saw these giants, these, these large people. So they came back to Israel, and they brought with them a bad report. Well, some of them. Uh, Caleb, one of the leaders, brought back a good report. He said, we can do this. If, if we go and fight, we will win. But the bad report instead brought fear to the people of Israel to the point that they rebelled and they grumbled against God because of the fear. They were afraid, so they grumbled against God. Why is God bringing us here to die? We would have been better off as slaves. We would have been better off another way. Similarly, um, we could be that way as Christians. Now, in America, we don't face that sort of persecution, but we are in a world that is becoming increasingly hostile to our faith. And the message that Jesus is laying out for us here in this last section of John 16 is that in order to face the tribulation and trials, we must remain faithful. We must take heart and keep pressing on. So the main point this morning is going to be this. Through abiding in Jesus, we experience the love, mercy, and peace of God amidst tribulation. I'll say it again. Through abiding in Christ, we experience the love, mercy, and peace of God amidst tribulation. Uh, so if you look at verses 25 through 28, our, our first point this morning is that in tribulation, we are called to abide in our loving Father. Jesus says, I have said these things to you. Uh, these things probably refers to everything he said uh, starting at the end of chapter 13. But I've said these things to you in figures of speech. Now, why did Jesus use figures of speech? Throughout his ministry, he used figurative language. So he had parables that he told. And the reason he told parables was to veil the gospel to some and reveal it to others. Because some had hearts so hard that they refused to hear him. So he would tell his message to people using veiled terminology while revealing it to his disciples and those who believed. Another reason Jesus uses figurative language or figures of speech is that illustrations anchor us to the truth. And in fact, I just used a figure of speech. An anchor is something that holds you down. Illustrations help us understand the truth. It gives us something from life to attach the truth to so we understand it. Perhaps that's why Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Because for the rest of your life, you can resonate with that message. Um, but in Matthew 18, 34, we even see that sometimes Jesus spoke in what we would think was clear language, and yet the word says it was hidden from them. They did not grasp what he had said. 
So even when Jesus spoke things, it was hidden from the disciples. They weren't yet ready to receive it. And I think that's why Jesus used the farewell or the, the figurative language in this farewell speech, because they were not yet ready for everything he had to say. And in fact, he tells you the time is coming or it is, it is now time or there will be things that I will say later that will make sense. The spirit will say those things to you. And then he says, the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And, and this hour refers to the time of his suffering, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. And that time, as the time progressed, he's going to start speaking more plainly. And in fact, he had already started to do so. And, and what do we learn? What, one of the things that we learn about the Father, one of the things Jesus teaches us plainly, even in this passage in verse 26, in that day you will ask in my name. And I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. One of the plainest, one of the most important, one of the most vital truths in the Christian life is that the Father loves us. Can you resonate with that? Is that a reality for you? We need to know of the Father's love. It's a truth that we cannot let go of. Now, in my house, the kids always come to me when they want a snack because they know that mom already has a structure and they know I don't know the structure. So they'll come to me, daddy, can I get a snack? I'm like, would mom let you have one? I don't know. And I'll say, go ask mom or, or they'll want me to go talk to mom and persuade her to give them something they think she doesn't want them to have. And oftentimes we can think of God in that way. We can think of the Father as we got to go to Jesus so that he can persuade the Father to give us something that God doesn't want to give us. And yet Jesus says, you don't have to ask me anymore. You can go to the Father directly and ask him because he loves you. We're not, we don't go to a Jesus who loves us and a Father who doesn't. Jesus is laying out here, you get to go to the Father and for the Jewish mind, that would have been controversial because they used to have to go through a priest and they had to go to the, the holy of holies. And yet Jesus is saying, through me, you have direct access to the Father because you're in me and because he loves you. And I, I think that's one of the most glorious truths because if we don't believe God loves us, we're going to live as orphans. But when we realize that God loves us and we are his children and he wants to hear us, we start to live different. We start to think different. We start to pray differently. And, and Jesus told them plainly, and through them, through the disciples, through the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, he has also revealed it plainly to us. And the reason we can trust in Jesus, he says in verse 28, I came from the Father and have come into the world. That's that glorious truth of the incarnation, the first coming of Jesus that we celebrate every Christmas. I have come into the world and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. The reason we need the Father's love, the reason we need to pray is because Jesus is going to finish the work he started, but we still need the Father. We still need his presence even though he is not here with us. And that's, that's been a theme throughout John 15 and 16, and it's a theme we need to remember this morning. And it's, it's important. If Jesus came into the world, 
He has to go out because the work that he started has to be finished. And in Hebrews, it says he made purification for sin. That's the death on the cross. And then he sat down at the right hand of his father. How did he sit down? He had to rise again, ascend to heaven, and go sit at the throne. So this morning, I want to urge you to fight with everything inside of you to trust in the Father's love, especially in times of tribulation and suffering. Fight with everything in you to trust in the Father's love. When the world comes against you, you may be thinking, why God? Why would you let this happen? Does God really love me if he's allowing me to suffer? And the answer is a resounding yes. Jesus has prepared us for the suffering, but we have to fight to believe. Through faith in God and faith in his love for us, we can pray powerfully. We can rest in and abide in God because he's generous and loving. He's our father. We don't just view God the Father as judge and lawmaker. We, we view him as a loving, caring, generous father. So fight with everything in you, not to view God as a genie who just grants all your requests just because he has to, and, and not as a vengeful judge that doesn't want to help you. View him as a loving father who cares deeply for you. And as you think about the love of the father, some of you may not know that love yet. Do you know the father? Have you experienced the love of God? Does God love you despite who you are? Does he love you despite your failures? Do you believe that God can love you despite who you are and what you've done? If your answer is no, believe Christ. Believe this gospel message. Jesus came into the world to show us that through him, the Father can indeed love sin-sick people like me and like you. He says, turn from your sin. God will prune the sin out of your life if you will believe in him. Turn from your sin. Repent of your wickedness. Repent of your good works and your deeds and come to a loving father who welcomes you, not because you're good, but he welcomes you in order to make you good because his son was good. Turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. And, and when you come to him, remember, we will not have perfect faith. Our faith will be imperfect. Our, our lives will be imperfect. We'll make mistakes. We'll do and say stupid things. But we can learn from the disciples. We can learn from how Jesus dealt with the big 12 that we're going to be all right. So the next thing we see in verses 29 to 33, in tribulation, we need to acknowledge our weakness. In tribulation, we need to acknowledge our weakness. So Jesus says, I'm going to speak to you plainly. And look at their response. I mean, when you slow down and read the Bible and actually think about what you're reading, it's kind of mind-blowing. His disciples said, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. I don't know about y'all, but that last paragraph took me all week to figure out what it was even saying. <laughs> and it, oh, now you get it. Now we get it. You're speaking plainly. And then verse 30. Now we know that you know all things. Somehow that paragraph let them know that Jesus knows all things, that he came from God, and that no one needs to question him. He turned water to wine. He raised the dead. He calmed the storm. He walked on water. He multiplied bread and fish, and yet somehow that sentence is supposedly what convinced them 
oh, you really are who you say you are. And you think, like, how dumb could they have been? That's their aha moment, seriously? But as imperfect and flawed and silly and slow to believe as they are, I hope you see yourself in this passage. I hope you see me in this passage because I'm there. We do the same thing. We misunderstand God. We misunderstand our maturity. We misunderstand our knowledge. But that's why Jesus said the Father prunes us. Because we think we know so much. We think we're so smart. And then we have these aha moments and everyone around you is like, are you serious? That's it? That's what it was? Uh, I remember in college ministry, Shane asked a group of guys, we were at Summer Project, if you could ask God for one thing, what would it be? And me being this deep, super spiritual, super mature, well, I thought I was, <laughs> believer, I said, I would ask for the wisdom of Solomon. Now, at first, you might think, oh, that's great. Solomon calls us to ask for wisdom. But if you remember the end of Solomon's life, he did a lot of foolish and stupid things. All that wisdom, all those thousands of poems he wrote, all the knowledge he had didn't stop him from chasing thousands of women and worshiping idols because of those wives that he had. His life didn't get better simply because he had all of that wisdom. And what I thought was deep was really just me being prideful and saying, I want to be smarter than everybody else. I want to have more head knowledge than everybody else. And that's something God had to kind of prune out. He's still pruning it out. He's still helping me realize it. We've all got these weaknesses and these issues. I, yours might not be wanting to be smarter than everybody, but what is that weakness or that, that thing that you don't recognize about yourself, but everybody around you could tell you? As you see that, as, as that's revealed to you, remember that God still loves you. The Father still loves you despite your weakness. He still loves me. He still allows me to preach and serve despite the foolishness that I carry with me. And Jesus' gentle rebuke is a word of encouragement to us all. He could have been like, you idiots. That's what you think? This is what made you believe? This is what you decide allows you not to question me? What about everything else? Get out of my face. Get out of here. I wasted three years with you all. That's probably how I would have responded. But what does he say? He says in verse 31, it's a gentle rebuke. Do you now believe? Do you now believe? After all that you've seen, after all that I've taught, after all that you've heard, after everything, do you now believe? And then he gives them a, a, a gentle warning. He says... Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone. And uh, back in chapter 13, Jesus told Peter he was going to deny him. And when you look in the other gospels, all the disciples, Jesus said, would deny him. Peter says, no, I'll, I'll die for you. Wherever you're going, I will go with you. I will die for you. And all the disciples said the same thing. And yet Jesus says, you will not. You don't know you like I know you. You don't know Peter the way I know Peter. You don't know the 12 disciples the way I know you. You will not be here when the suffering comes. And what is it in each and every one of us that Jesus knows about us that we won't admit or don't know about ourselves? That's what we need to be praying about. That's the things we need to be asking God to show us 
so that when the time comes, we can be humble enough to say, God, I'm weak. I need you. Help me. Because like Peter, we think we're bold, but we have not yet experienced whatever that thing is. We think we're tough, but we have yet, not yet experienced that situation that's going to push us and make us weak and make us lie flat on our back and say, apart from you, I can't do this. Now, some of you may be living in that right this moment. Some of you may have recently faced this. Jesus is here in your weakness. You don't have to be strong because Jesus is strong for you. That's what he's reminding these disciples, and that's what he's reminding us. And I think we need to, to pay a little bit closer attention to Jesus' response because it tells us a lot about our Savior, but it gives us a lot to carry home with us. Jesus is patient. Instead of a sharp, angry, harsh rebuke, because he wasted so much time, he simply asked them a question. Now? Now you believe? He's merciful. Instead of giving them the answer they deserve, he gives them help. He gives them a loving response. He's gracious. He says in verse 33, I have said these things that in me you may have peace. He's giving them something they don't deserve, which is peace and grace and kindness. And then we see that he's confident in God rather than in people. He says in verse 32, you will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. He didn't let their, their denial of him, he didn't let their scattering, he didn't let their lack of true friendship, their lack of commitment, their unwillingness to suffer, he didn't let that drag him down because the Father will not leave me. And that's the confidence that we need to have in God the Father. We can learn so much from this response. How would it shape our lives if we responded to our children with patience, mercy, grace, and confidence in God? How would it change our marriages? How would it change our Facebook conversations? How would it change everything about us if we responded to foolishness in the way that Jesus did? Not I told you so, not running and gossiping about how stupid this person is, not rebuking them to their face, but patience, mercy, grace, and confidence in God. This is the Christ-likeness that Jesus wants us to pursue. This is the Christ-likeness that the fruit of the Spirit will bear forth in our lives as we abide in Christ and walk by the Spirit. This is the Christ-likeness that you and I need so desperately. And despite the weaknesses and failures of the disciples, Jesus never gave up. And he won't give up on us either. Uh, the last verse here, verse uh, 33, we see, God, we see Jesus give the gift of peace, and he calls them to courage. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, as a health coach, um, people come to me with all kinds of issues. Uh, they want to lose weight. They want to be healthy. They want to move more. They want more energy. And a lot of times, we see things in their diet that we have to clean up in order for them to reach their goals. And they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm eating a lot of junk food, so we'll put them on a, a lower-carb diet. Or we'll cut caffeine because they're having a lot of anxiety. But in order for them to cut all that out, 
I have to prepare them for what is to come. Uh, if you've ever tried the keto diet, you've heard of the keto flu. You've lived it if you've done that. Uh, if you cut out caffeine, you've had the headache. You know what it feels like. And if someone doesn't prepare you that that's a normal part of the detox process, it could be really easy to lose heart and think, this isn't working. In fact, it's making me worse. But when I tell them, day three, you're going to have a splitting headache. Day 10, your cravings are going to hit. Day 17, you're going to want to eat an entire house. But day 21, the cravings are gone. Then all of a sudden, they're ready for the end of the process. They see the end before it happens. And that's what Jesus has done for us in John 15 and 16. He has said, you're going to get there. Peace will come. Tranquility will come. But you're going to have to go through a lot of obstacles to get there. But you'll make it because my peace I have left with you. My peace I give to you. I have told you these things so that you can have peace. And Jesus is preparing us to face tribulation. And the biggest paradox, or one of the biggest paradoxes about the Christian life is right here in verse 33. You will have tribulation, suffering, all of this discord, this discontinuity, and yet you'll have peace and tranquility at the same time. You'll have grief and suffering and persecution and trials, and there will be war made against you, yet you'll be at peace. How do we balance that? And I think it's by looking to Jesus. It's by walking by the Spirit. In a very real and tangible sense, the disciples experienced this peace that Jesus spoke of. You remember, if you've, if you've read through Acts, and if you haven't, I'll explain it. In the book of Acts, some of the apostles, I think it was Peter and some others, had been arrested and put in jail. And you would think that being put in jail for your faith would be pretty traumatizing. It would be pretty scary. The government's against you. You're locked up. And yet they were in there singing hymns and praising God. They were able to worship in the midst of the tribulation. And in fact, in, in many cases, they would worship and then God would somehow rescue them. And instead of hiding out, they'd go somewhere else and do the same thing. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we get to suffer for Jesus. How great. That's living this paradox. But there's also this already but not yet. There's this, this bigger picture of the Messiah. When you read the Old Testament prophecies, the Messiah would usher in a time of peace. We often talk about peace and joy at Christmas because of the, the coming of Jesus. There is a sense in which the kingdom will bring peace. And, and that's going to happen probably at the end of time. We may see it develop over time, but we'll see that peace at the end of time. So there's a sense in which Jesus gave them tangible peace right then and there. And there's a sense in which Jesus is reminding them that there will be peace in the end because he has come. The true peace that we have, notice in verse 33, the true peace is in Jesus. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. You won't have peace in politics that's always going to be crazy. In any movement outside of Christ, you will not find peace because someone is always going to be fighting someone else. But in Christ, we have peace, true peace. But without him, we have no peace. And in light of that peace, Jesus says, in the world you'll have tribulation. That's a fact 
If we are believers in Christ, we will face persecution. The world will hate us. It hates him. It will hate us. We will face it. It will come. But he says, take heart or be courageous. I have overcome the world. We have hurricane force winds. We have crashing waves coming against us. And yet the one who calmed the storm is our anchor. Jesus is our anchor. The darkness may try to overcome us, but the one that the darkness could not overcome is the one who has overcome the world for us. We have Jesus. He is our peace and our confidence, and he is our hope. It's not on us to overcome the world. It's not on us to stand firm and to fight by ourselves. Rather, it's by the Spirit. We put on the the armor of God and we stand firm and we fight because someone has fought before us. That is Jesus, our Savior. If you are fearful right now, if you are self-confident, if you are indifferent, Jesus is still calling us to confidence and peace in him because he has overcome the world. He cannot be stopped. The gates of hell will never prevail against Jesus. That's the message that Jesus is laying out for his disciples, and that's the message that he has laid out for you and I as we reach Danville and Harrodsburg and Stanford and Kentucky and Columbia and the world with the gospel. We will face tribulation, but our Savior has overcome the world. As we wrap up our series, I want to put Christ before you. As we finish up this morning together, I want to lay, I want to just show you Jesus in John 15 and 16. Jesus is the true vine. We are the branches. He enables fruit bearing that pleases the Father. Apart from him, we can do nothing, but he is our strength. Through Jesus, we are connected to the Father. Through Jesus, we abide in the Father's love. Through Jesus, we are enabled to love God and to love one another. That is his commandment. In Jesus, we are hated by the world, and yet he is our hope to survive. Through Jesus, we have another helper, the spirit of truth, to bear witness about him throughout our tribulation. We are not left alone on this mission to fend for ourselves. Through Jesus, we have received the spirit. He has prepared us so that we will not even fall away in the face of death. Through Jesus, we have received the Holy Spirit who goes before us to convict the world so that when we preach the truth, the mission will be effective. The resurrection of Christ is the reason we have joy despite the sorrow and the anguish we faced when he died on the cross. Despite the anguish we faced because of the world's hatred, we have joy. In Christ, we have the answer to every necessary prayer when we pray in his name. Because we trust in Christ, we experience the real love of God the Father in our lives day in and day out. In Jesus Christ, we have peace and we have confidence because of our great Savior. Behold the vine. Abide in Christ. Walk in his presence as we take the gospel to the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for John 15 and 16. Jesus, thank you for speaking these glorious and powerful words. Thank you, Father and Son, for sending us the spirit of truth, the helper to help us receive, remember, believe, and cherish these words. 
Thank you for the mission of the church that has not failed for over 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years, Lord. Thank you that you've empowered this mission. Lord, I pray that we abide in Christ, we abide in your love, we abide in prayer, we abide despite the suffering, that we will find peace and confidence and joy and hope in these days to come. Lord, we don't know what's before us, but we know the end from the beginning. You have shown it to us that we would not fall away, that we would have peace. I pray that we at Grace Church would take heart and trust in Jesus because he has overcome the world. And through him, we will not be overcome. It's in Christ's name, amen.